Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among them. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the Lord God said to the woman, Because you have done this, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. And to the man the Lord God said, Because you have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore the Lord God sent them forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which they were taken. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, the Lord God placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way of the tree of life. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. 
And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through the Word, and without the Word, not one thing came into being. What has come into being and the word was life, and the life was the light of the people. The light shines and the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, 
And the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of human will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. At first glance, everything in the Christmas story is looking up. Magi are tracking the movements of stars or the alignments of planets, or whatever it is, convinced that the sky is trying to tell them something big is happening out there. King Herod doesn't know how to read the sky, or the predictions of the ancient prophets, or the suffering of his own people. So he's just looking up everywhere at once, his eyes darting around in a panic from his royal visitors to his poll takers to the ancient prophecies and eventually even to all the little babies of his kingdom, all of them seeming to be part of a threatening shadow cast from somewhere out there. And the shepherds abiding in their fields are looking up, scanning the dark hillside for danger to their vulnerable flocks. Even Caesar Augustus is looking up, keeping track of the effect of his edicts about cataloging people according to where they were born, where they should stay, so that he'll be able to look them up in his empire books and require of them whatever he wants to. And Mary and Joseph have to be looking up, too, keeping an eye out for some kind of sanctuary, any place they can huddle and bring a fragile new life into a dangerous world that doesn't care very much. Soon they'll become refugees for whom, as we know, life is always about looking out for an escape route, for any direction that they can flee to keep the little bundle of light they're cradling from getting snuffed out. Up or out or beyond is the direction you look, isn't it? When you live in hope or fear, expectation or anxiety. When you don't have what you need or when you're worried about whether the place you are is safe or when you want to add more of something that you don't think you already have enough of, the direction that what you're looking for seems most likely to come from is out or up or away, somewhere else. You can tell that the people in the Bible are really are kith and kin because they're always looking up or out or beyond for the rescuer they think they need. I will lift my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help, says the psalmist. And, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, says the prophet. 
and rescue us from this storm and turn these stones into bread, this water into wine, these few fish and loaves into enough to feed us all, all of that from the Gospels. Save us, feed me, heal her, free him, keep us safe. These are prayers we've all found whispering across our lips since time immemorial and lately in the spiritual life. And dare I say, in our public life, everything is about looking up, out, beyond for the one who will rescue us, the thing that will save us, the turn of events that will bring the change we yearn for. But something else entirely different is going on in the Christmas story. Right in the middle of everyone looking in all those directions for the thing that will save them. We have to look past Caesar's edict to see it. Evidently, his registration wasn't much of a success. At least, it left nothing as verifiable as a ledger to history, but only a handful of legends And no mention whatsoever in the annals of the empire of this little handful of lives that ended up reconfiguring our history far more potently than any of Caesar's imperial tweets. If you wonder how all this began, what the storytellers have for us is legends each one told by only one of the four gospel writers, and almost no agreement among them about any scintilla of detail. So you have to wonder, what made them think to include these fanciful stories in the saving history anyway? What do they add that had to be added, even notwithstanding the inevitable sketchiness of the source? One thing they all have in common is the rather baseline fact that it began with a birth. Which is to say that it began when cells began dividing in that extraordinary way that cells have. At first, so infinitesimally that it takes a few weeks before you even know that it's going on. It can't get much more internal, imminent, intimate than that. You can watch the stars all you want, strain your ears for the songs of approaching angels. But it's as though the legend keepers in their various ways wanted to make the point that the way God got things going in a different direction was with a zygote, an embryo, an infant. And not just any infant in not just any landscape, God chose to intervene right in the midst of the exhausted, the worn out, the fed up, the embittered. Where a birth happens to happen in circumstances as riddled with anguish and danger as they could be. Thanks to these legends, the story begins as much from the inside of all of that as it can get. And then the story grows out, grows into more and more cells, more and more into the living tissue of humanity itself. It mattered to the legend keepers to make sure it made it into the story that when God comes to touch our need, it's not 
as a moving comet or as an edict of policy or as a creed or even as a humanitarian agency that it all begins. It begins from the inside. It begins when God comes to live as much on the inside as you can get, starting with nothing any less miraculous than mitosis. From there, it goes to living what we're up against from the inside, the struggle against a boorish, inhumane empire, the poverty, the ambiguity and uncertainty, the yearning for freedom and the hunger for hope. Oh, as the story then rolls on, more agreement develops among the storytellers, the four of them and others, about the details of this life that he taught us along the way that it's our faith that makes us well, that it's our choices to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly that will make the world just and kind and humble, that it's our inherent blessedness that makes us us precious in God's eyes and ought to make us precious in each other's eyes. But where it starts, in the midst of all that looking up and out and away, is with God coming to the most interior, most enfleshed possible place God can come and starting the work as much from the inside as God can get. The legend keepers tell us that God chose the best place God could find, a handful of first-century lives that were already paying close attention to justice, kindness, humility. But it was anything but a perfect place. God chose a moment in history that was full of failures and outrages and violence and despair, as full of those things as any, and climbed in among them, to start the work of salvation from the inside. The Gospel of John has its own distinctive way of talking about this. There's not much of anything about babies being born in that one, or imperial edicts, or even angels for that matter. But what it says is that at the ripe time, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, except that the Greek for dwelt is something a lot more akin to pitched his tent among us, which I think is probably John's way of saying the same thing. The light of the world came camping, plunked down as much in the middle of the muddle as it could get, and became flesh, and there, from there, pushed outward. So we can lift our eyes and do to watch the way the stars have of singing silently. And we can make our pilgrimage again to the candlelit place where we can hear the voices of angels and shepherds and hope that something will wing down through the night and make right what has gone so terribly wrong. But I think we already know 
And I think we are learning afresh now vividly and painfully and importantly that if we are going to be saved and if things are going to be put right, then it is not a rescuer nor an edict or a policy or even a movement if it has not already begun from the inside and taken root in the cells of us and started burgeoning outward from there. If there is injustice, then it is the energy of justice and compassion pushing outward like God from the very atoms of us, being born in us from the inside that will topple the tyrants. And if there is despair, then it is the energy of hope and resilience pushing outward like God from the very molecules of us, being born in us from the inside that will comfort and strengthen us. And if there is alienation and hatred, then it is the energy of love pushing outward like God from the living tissue of us that will turn us back toward the light. You wonder how all this begins. It begins with a change in us at the level of living tissue and pushes outward. That's why it has to be a birth story. That's what the baby pretty much spent his whole short life saying to us once he was grown and came to live among us as a servant. Never in his whole life did he have any power at all except the power that begins on the inside when a passion for God is born and then pushes outward. Your faith has made you well, he said. Blessed are you, poor, he said. Feed my sheep, he said. So, let every heart prepare him room and every conscience and every mind and every vocation and every cell. Amen. Bless, O oh God, this world with peace in our families, in our communities, in our personal distress. Bring the healing only you can provide for the broken in body, wounded in spirit, lonely and disillusioned. Come, Jesus, be born once again, just as on the night of your birth, into unexpected places and humble hearts. Bless this bread and breasts. Bless the fruit of this vine. Bless all of us in our eating and drinking that our eyes might be opened and that we might recognize the Spirit rising in our midst. And indeed, the Spirit rising in one another. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Come hear our prayer. Come hear us as we pray the prayer which Jesus gave us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.